Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer. Now, last week, we were talking about his allegorical use of Joshua 1 and the implications for false spiritual warfare that comes from that. We have two more passages that he references that we would like to discuss. So do you want to start with his comments about Isaiah 63.3 and Revelation 19.15? And then we can read those and see if he's applying them properly. Okay. This was in the context of the idea of load your weapons. Yes. Okay, so using these words um, that are used in the Bible, he uh, talks about the violence of war. And then on page 84, the Hebrew word darak says sheets actually came to be used for bending the bow when about to shoot an arrow. And it's still used today in Israel for the command, load your weapons. Both words are used for treading or trampling in a wine press a fittingly used symbolism of Christ overcoming his enemies in Isaiah 63.3 and Revelation 19.15. Okay. Now, I'm not arguing with that basic analysis, but the application is taken out of context. Last week, we mentioned uh, the wine press of the wrath of God in the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and then we go on to taking lands and so on, as we were discussing. Okay. So the overall thesis of Dashit's is we need to do our part. Yes. This whole book is about our part. Yeah. And it's predicated on Colossians 124, which is a difficult passage, but understandable, but it's not about God's waiting for us to do our part. Okay. We talked about that a lot. So I, again, I took the two passages he mentions, Isaiah 63, 3, and Revelation 19, 15, and looked them up in context and printed them out. Okay. So remember, this is about us doing our part. So to that end, I'm going to read Isaiah 63, 3 through 6. All right. Here it is. I have trodden down the wine trough alone from the people's there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and tra trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained my raiment. Verse 4, for the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help. And I was astonished that there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. Now, the New American Standard has me capitalized, assuming it's Christ. Okay. And I trod down the peoples in my anger, and made them drunk with my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Now, this is yet to be fulfilled in the future when the wrath of God comes at the end. Okay. Now, this isn't about us doing our part now. 
Right. It's not about us at all. We do have a part. Mm-hmm. Not mentioned there. Here's what the part is. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because right now, people are going through life and living on the face of the earth. And things seem to be going on. There's a lot of difficulties. But we're not seeing God's wrath poured out and destroying whoever the worst sinners are. Right. Jesus warned that that's not the case, even when there is a tragedy in Luke chapter 13. Okay. The word tragedy hits now shows that we live in a fallen world, but it doesn't prove who the worst sinners are. Right. Okay. Now, this wrath is future. Okay. Yes. He's not, not waiting for us to do our part. Yes. He doesn't need us to do our part. Only God can bring his final wrath. Right. Our part is to preach the gospel so that people who believe in Jesus Christ turn away from serving sin, self, the world, and turn to him and trust him alone. His blood was shed once for all for the remission of sins, and he cleanses us. He forgives us. The redeemed are born of God and are safe from the wrath of God. Yes. We're not, co- we're not coming under wrath. Okay. We don't do some part of ours to somehow bring wrath on everybody else. We preach the gospel so people can escape through repentance and faith in Christ. Amen. So Wagner and uh, Dutch Sheets and the various warfare teachers are claiming this is about Christians having better outcome now. Okay. Less problems, less sicknesses, or living in lands that are sort of Christianized. All right. Okay. Now, so Isaiah 63, 3 through 6 is about God's wrath, not about us doing our part. Right. So it doesn't fit one bit with Dutch Sheets' book or his claims. Okay. He failed to do his job in expounding Isaiah 63. Now, what about Revelation 19, 11? Well, I'm going to read 11 through 16. He mentions 15. Let's okay. And see, maybe that one fits as Sheets' claims. Let's read on. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. And I saw heaven opened, Behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. That's Christ. Yes. The conquering king. Revelation 19.12. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule with them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All right. 
That's 1916. That is the context of Christ coming to defeat his enemies, literally. Yes. They don't escape. Okay. Is that about some American history? No. That hasn't happened, or most people wouldn't be living here. Right. So, so, totally out of context. It is. And so then this is where, and we mentioned this last week, but this is where he brings in then the battle hymn of the Republic, which, I mean, we could get off on an entirely different discussion of that too, but neither of those verses had anything to do with America or American slavery or the Civil War or who was rightfully judging there. Well, there's plenty of sin to go all around. Right. Okay. And this is true around the entire world. Yes. So we're still be, being allowed to live out lives on this earth that, in many cases, people blaspheme God all day long, and no fire comes down out of heaven. Right. We're allowed to live as we see fit, knowing that God is calling all persons everywhere to repent. Yes. So the command to repent is valid, and the only way we repent is through hearing the gospel and believing. Right. That's how Saul of Tarsus was converted. That's how sinners are converted. And that's what we're to preach. Repentance for forgiveness of sins. Does Dutch sheets talk about forgiveness of sins? No. No. It's not that's in this book. No. And I don't, it just doesn't show up in various versions of post-millennialism. Right. Okay. If Christ isn't physically here, and hasn't destroyed his enemies, you don't have a real millennium. Right. Okay, so that is not what these passages teach. Now, I realize that huge segments of Christendom have used the allegorical method for centuries, even yes. millennia. Okay. Back to after the death of the apostles, the early church fathers, many of them use allegory. Not all. Okay. Yeah. But that is not how we are to interpret Scripture. Right. Okay? What applies to us was told to us by Paul. We talked about that last week. They were baptized in the water and in the cloud. He talked right. about baptism uh, in the water and in the spirit. In 1 Corinthians. Okay. Okay. So the point is that we shouldn't crave evil things. We shouldn't be idolaters. Right. God's wrath against those things has been demonstrated in history. See, in the Old Testament, and even in the book of Acts, there's what's called exemplary judgment. Okay. Right? For example, there was a speaker, and the audience said, the voice is the voice of a God and not a man, and he was struck dead. Yeah. Well, that doesn't imply that every time in history— Someone claiming some great power does that, and it's not smitten dead, then God didn't uh, really disapprove, or he owes an apology to whoever he did strike dead. Okay. That and is, we hear that a lot. Yeah, that's just so bad. That's just wicked. Okay. 
God's wrath is delayed to give time for repentance. Right. Events in history, whether it's Sodom and Gomorrah, or whether it's the guy that was smitten in the book of Acts, or anything else like that, would, would indicate God's attitude towards certain things and show us the need to repent and turn to Christ. Right. But God's justice doesn't demand that everybody that does the same thing is struck dead right here and right now. No. And, you know, that's really evidence of his grace and mercy that we aren't all struck dead right. in our sin. Right. So we've been talking about the difference between the warfare worldview, which claims the church is to ex execute somehow dominion over the earth and call down angels and visit heaven and find out what demons over what city and do all this stuff versus the providential worldview, which God is bringing things to his conclusion. Okay. All prophecy that God's given that's not yet fulfilled will be fulfilled. Okay. Not lie. And so we have two total different worldviews. The role of the church is to preach the gospel. Right. That's our part, as you said last week. Luke, beginning of Acts, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're still doing that. Okay. It's not our job to rule over the spirits in the heavenlies that we can't even see. Right. Now, last week, we mentioned your uh, two sessions at the Faith and Risk 3 conference that were on spiritual warfare. And listeners, you can find that right at the front page of the CIC website, CICministry.org, or the front page of the CIC YouTube channel. It's really worth taking some time to listen to those two. But we ran out of time last week before we could share a couple of quotes from C. Peter Wagner that I think are really relevant here. This, though we're not specifically discussing C. Peter Wagner in this series, his influence on Dutch Sheets and that entire movement is really unquestionable. So you want to kind of share those quotes with us and we can spend our, we've got about 15 minutes left. So we have some good time to kind of hash that out a bit. Okay, good. I'm glad to do that. And it was really an eye opener to go back and I watched that entire video myself yesterday. And then the second one, which is about binding and loosing, which they also get wrong. It's called spiritual warfare, a battle of two worldviews. Okay. Now, I cite different people, but one of which is C. Peter Wagner, who is one of the key persons in the New Apostolic Reformation. And his endorsement is mentioned by Dutch Sheets in his book that we're studying. Yes. C. Peter Wagner is no longer on the scene of history, but he was from Fuller Seminary and really brought some scholarly credibility to the movement but I don't think it's really credible. Okay. So one thing that the teachers of this warfare worldview have in common is the claim that there is a legal system in the world of the spirits and that we need information about that in order to break curses, gain the outcome we're looking for, do spiritual mapping. I talk about that in that video and get what we're looking for, taking the land, so to speak. Okay. And that's what they're trying to do. So let me cite 
I have some of the slides all printed here. I'm going to cite somewhere I am quoting C. Peter Wager from his book, Confronting the Powers. Okay. The first citation is from page 237 of that book. They, then in brackets, better spiritual warfare expert, that's the context of his what he says, agreed that strongholds provide the forces of darkness as a legal basis for doing their evil deeds, both in individual people on the ground level and in cities or nations on the strategic level. So we talked about those decrees the Dutch sheets made. Yes. Okay. This is where that comes from. Okay. They're wanting to do the strategic level. Right. So if you're a person and you're living on the earth and you're getting bad outcomes, family problems, financial problems, sicknesses, well, then there may be some legal thing going on in the world of the spirits that you don't know about. Okay. So how do you gain that information? Generally, it's through some process of gaining revelations or secret knowledge, which, by the way, is forbidden in the Bible. They ignore that. So um, individuals, cities, nations. Okay. So your nation's going astray, your city's going astray, your family's going astray. Uh, there are strongholds that are based on some legal system of the spirit world that's not published anywhere other than in occult books, which, by the way, in the book of Acts, they burned. Right. They, they didn't examine them to, to find out what spirits were over what cities or to uh, gain information from the spirit world that they could use against the spirit world. Burned burn away them. a thousand pieces of silver worth just many, many people's wages gone because they had their, the data to help break the curses. So in the time of the apostles, they burned this information because it was forbidden. But see Peter Wagner and by extension, Dutch Sheets, who endorses this, yes, is saying we need the information. Right. We need those books because the, I kind of chuckled as I was watching the video, too, as you were explaining this, because it was like, you, you really think that evil spirits are a good source of truth? It's just shocking. Yeah. Now, uh, I also talk about Greg Boyd and Bob Larson and, and others in the video, but we'll just stick with C. Peter Wagner because he was endorsed by uh, Dutch Sheets who were studying here, okay? And part of the New Apostolic Reformation. Now, here's another citation from Wagner. Okay. This is Confronting the Powers, page 158-159. One of the reasons evil spirits succeed in returning. Okay, so they cast out the spirit out of a person or a territory or a nation. Okay. Figure out what's going on and do these bindings and these decrees and all this and things get better and then it comes back and gets worse again, which by the way, it's always happened. Yes. You mentioned that a little bit in the video too and some of your experiences in, in that. Yeah. Okay. One of the reasons they come back is that the strongholds on which 
they had based their legal rights. Did you know demons have legal rights? I sure didn't. Well, these guys know that. To control that area and its people have not been thoroughly removed. Then I have some ellipses to, so I can fit this all on a slide. Through accurate and sensitive spiritual mapping, we can identify strongholds rooted in unremitted sins of past generations. Okay, there's so much wrong there. <laughs> Do you want to just hit a couple of key points for us? Okay, this is putting us into the occult world and denying the promises of God. As I've said many times, Ephesians 1, 3, those who are trusting Christ through the gospel are blessed and no one can curse us because of some unknown ancestor going back, who knows how many, you know, three or four generations they claim. Right. More. And depending on what city we live in or what, who's in charge or what demons doing this or that, uh, we can't be cursed if we trust Christ alone. Right. And bad outcomes, meaning losing a job or not having enough money or having difficulties, meaning what did Paul do? He took up a collection to bring to the people in Judea. Right. He didn't go break the stronghold. Yeah. They didn't know about this. They burnt their occult books, but now people want to glean information from them. It's really not right. So how do you get accurate and sensitive spiritual mapping? Well, I think we're going to find that C. Peter Wagner has a plan for that. Well, you go ask the occultists. They know more than we do. Okay. So then on page 148, which was a little earlier in that same book, Confronting the Powers, Wagner says, nevertheless, then I have in brackets on my slide here, that evil spirits deceive certain people, such as shamans, witch doctors, practitioners of Eastern religions, um, new age gurus or professors of the occult on university faculties are examples of the kind of people who may have much more extensive knowledge of the spirit, spirit world than most Christians have. Some of the information they furnish is accurate. So how would we even know which information is accurate? Well, it's impossible. Right. Impossible. This is, plus it's forbidden. And in the video I show from Deuteronomy 29, 29, why it's forbidden. Yeah. So we can't know what's accurate, what is not accurate. And even if it's accurate, it may be even worse. Right. God doesn't want us going into the spirit world. He wants us to stay away from the spirit world. Right. So... And we can't function in that world. Right. Any of them claim we need to know the names of which spirit is over which territory. That's very common teaching, but it's false. I thought of an example. I was thinking of the book of Genesis before the fall. Okay. The duty of Adam to name the animals. Right. Now, the animals are objective. Okay. See them. You can examine what they're like. 
what sort of animal. And whatever Adam named them, that's what they were. Yes. Oh, God had forbidden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but gave him uh, and Eve, Adam and Eve, the freedom to eat where else they wanted in paradise, in Eden. Okay. Now the serpent offers forbidden knowledge, which is where we get our occult idea, the occult, the secret. Right. So after the fall, we still can name animals. Yes. We can still tell the difference between food and a thistle. Thorns grow, but we have to work hard. We live in a fallen world. But information about the world of the spirits was what they were lacking in the garden before they sinned. And they tried to get it. Right. She'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Why name the animals? we got to know the names of the spirits. Okay. So then they claim that that's what we need. So here's my question to those false teachers. And you, you might say, well, that's kind of strong to call them false teachers. Well, they are. Right. What Has um, Dutch Sheets ever given us a reason to think that, we, that burning the occult books in Acts, was that a good idea or not? Why didn't they glean these books? What about C. Peter Wagner? Why not dig through there and find the accurate information before you burn all of them? Right. This doesn't add up. Saints, if you just read the context of every proof text laid out there without any exegesis, you'll see that it doesn't even make sense. Right. And listening to that sort of thing will harm you every time because it'll get your eyes off of the things that matter, like forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, the promises of God, and our eternal hope. And that the wrath will come is a promise. Okay. They'll come in the future and defeat enemies. Yes. Living in a time, the church age, in which God extends mercy. And common grace, which is a good category, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and we have an opportunity to preach the gospel. Now, I have another citation here from Wagner. Okay. And uh, this is on page 69 of his book. Quote, some non-Christians, whether animists, shamans, gurus, lamas, philosophers, or whatever, may be able to communicate to us some information about the reality of the spirit world, which they have gained, in which they have gained considerable expertise. But that's occult knowledge, which is forbidden, and it may be totally deceptive. In fact, I would count on it being deceptive. Right. The, the spirit world doesn't have our best interest in mind. What they want is for us to be deceived. And we have interviewed people who had gone into meditative states and found out that their helping spirits were actually evil and trying to deceive them. Right. So um, this is really a serious problem to try to get occult knowledge. Well, and and I think they even take it a little bit farther um, looking at further down in your PowerPoint from that faith at risk message, you've got a quote from Wagner on page 89. Oh, yes. Do you want to uh, read? Do you have it printed there? Yep, I have it printed. So see Peter Wagner, page 89. 
if this be the case, refusing to use it on the part of some might be to run the risk of unfaithfulness to the master. So if we're not willing to seek a secret occult knowledge that is forbidden by God, we run the risk of unfaithfulness to the master. So God's commanding us to get occult knowledge, which is forbidden. And if we don't gain it and use it, we're not, we may be at risk of being unfaithful. Wow. This is so shockingly um, in air that how can people allow themselves to be deceived this, by this? On the same page, he tells us to field test this. Okay. Here's the quote. In this book, Wagner says, I'm not claiming biblical proof of strategic level spiritual warfare, spiritual mapping, or identificational repentance. It's another idea. You got to repent for somebody who may have sinned that we don't even know they did. We do have, he says, sufficient biblical evidence to warrant a working hypothesis we can field test. A significant relative new spiritual technology God has given us. So now there's spiritual technology to field test. Okay. Now in the world of objective things that we can know, there are more variables than we can understand. Yes. Okay. And there are things to learn. It's not forbidden to study general revelation, but it is forbidden to go into the occult. So how do you know the demons aren't telling you things, however you're gaining this information, and then deceiving people into thinking it works so that they don't listen to the gospel and serve God on his terms and stay focused on Christ and redemption and forgiveness of sins? We're warned about this, by the way. Okay. In Deuteronomy 13. All right. That's right. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams comes and gives something that does come true, I'm citing from memory here. Okay. And it does come to pass when they're saying to serve other gods that you did not know, do not listen to them because the Lord is testing you to see if you're faithful to him. Right. So if we don't want to listen to God, God can allow some of this to work and we fail the test. Right. So you can't field test something that may be um, leading us further from God because God forbade secret knowledge. Yes. Secret things belong to God. And to try to gain it and then field test it, and if it seems to work, this isn't the God of the Bible if we're allowed what God told, told us not to do. Right. Not to believe. We're not believing his promises. We're not preaching the gospel if we don't teach Christ crucified, the blood atonement, resurrection from the dead, the, re the repentance for forgiveness of sins. These things disappear, aren't even mentioned. We're trying to do our part. And as uh, Dutch Sheets is claiming, making decrees, gaining secret information, field testing it, trying this, doing that. It keeps failing all the while missing the whole point of why we still are in this age, in these last days. We're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Listen to this, dear ones, don't believe these people. They will harm you and confuse you and make you think you fail when, in fact, you're trusting Christ and believing his promises. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.